or hall. Remembering Anne Boleyn. A family wrecker and adulteress murdered by her husband. Not the plot for a soap, but what people believe about Anne Boleyn. And like most soaps, that is far from reality. Anne did not destroy Henry VIII's 17-year marriage to Catherine of Aragon. She wasn't a round-heeled woman who had sex with her own brother. She wasn't a gold digger either. Anne was simply one of the most intelligent, influential queen consorts in English history. I am the historian Leander Delisle, uncovering the Tudors and Stuarts behind the myths. Anne was not beautiful. An Italian man commented on her bosom not much raised. The best a friend could manage was adequately good-looking. But Anne Boleyn exuded glamour. Her dark eyes and superb head of black hair were what people immediately noticed. Her dress sense made her the leader of fashion at the royal court. The other ladies there hated her. As soon as they successfully copied Anne's latest, she would switch. Even more important than style were brains and an independent mind. The marriage with Henry was a succession of storms and sunshine, precisely because she refused to do meek and submissive. Anne didn't know how. This striking personality had emerged from a very unusual education. When Anne was 13, her diplomat father sent her to be trained at the top European courts at Brussels and then in Paris. She was abroad for nine years, the only English girl to have this opportunity. She learned perfect French, the language of royal courts. These were the early days of the Reformation. Anne read widely and became expert in the intellectual topics of the day. She was taught the accomplishments expected in high society. An excellent musician, renowned as a dancer, she was also an artist in needlework. She learned etiquette and, above all, social skills. At the royal court in England, only a tiny number of women served as Queen Catherine's ladies-in-waiting. Men left their wives at home, and male courtiers, both unmarried and married, swarmed around these few women like wasps round a honeypot. Relations between the sexes were supposed to be controlled by the code of courtly love. But a woman needed character and a quick wit to avoid the flirting from becoming serious and potentially ruinous. When Anne returned to England from France, she was more French than English, and her chic took the court by storm. But to clinch that success, she needed to make a top society marriage. And there, her family was not rich. Her elder sister had been the king's mistress. Henry now turned his eyes on Anne. To his surprise, she turned him down. A short romance and then obscurity did not attract her. The 24-year-old Anne wanted to hold out for a marriage with a great nobleman. Then politics intervened. Henry VIII faced an impending crisis. He had no son and his wife Catherine was now too old. If he died, who was to govern England? He had a daughter, Mary, but no woman had ever ruled England. Civil war loomed, and Henry became convinced that the reason he hadn't had a son was that his marriage with Catherine was cursed.
Perhaps that's what he wanted to believe, but his conviction was absolute. Only the Pope, however, had the authority to annul his marriage. Henry wasn't honest with Catherine, and she stuck to her rights as his wife. In the contested action which followed, the judge was the Pope, who was surrounded by the armies of Catherine's uncle, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. The case lasted six years. Where was Anne Boleyn during all this? At an early stage, it had dawned on Henry that given his feelings for her, the answer was to ask her to marry him when the divorce came through. He hoped within months. The pressure on Anne was intense. No other man could marry her while Henry wished to. She was trapped. She may even have fallen a little in love with her powerful and intense admirer. In any event, she gave way to Henry and agreed. Such personal emotion may seem unremarkable to us, but only one previous English king had ever married for love, and none would try it again until modern times. Kings married foreign princesses and sought love elsewhere. But despite their passion, Anne wasn't yet in Henry's bed. Both knew that before they tried for a child, they must be married. The baby had to be legitimate. Without access to contraception, they resisted having sex. That they did so for as long as they did just shows how determined they were. But Anne wasn't just waiting. All along, she energised Henry's efforts and provided backbone when he despaired. Very soon, she realised that only radical measures would solve the deadlock and she pressed the policy on Henry. Dump the Pope and have the divorce from Catherine sanctioned by the church in England. But even when procedures for this were in place, Henry hesitated. Dare he reject the authority of Rome? Very possibly it was Anne who helped make up his mind. She knew if she didn't marry soon, she would also be too old to have children. In November 1533, she slept with him after going through a secret marriage ceremony. Very soon she was pregnant and Henry had to act. The English church did annul the marriage to Catherine. Anne was crowned and in September 1533, the future Queen Elizabeth was born. Subsequently, Anne had two miscarriages, not the son Henry wanted. As always, failure was blamed on the wife, but Henry was probably the cause. He had bouts of impotence, and may also have had other problems. But the story he had VD is a myth. And despite her failure, Anne was increasingly important. She became the patron of those trying to encourage religious reform. One of her main aims was to promote the Bible in English. She also pressed for social relief and education. It was this that brought her down. Henry thought the church too rich, and his chief minister, Thomas Cromwell, took steps to shut monasteries. Anne supported this, believing the money raised would be redirected to education. When she discovered the money was to go on guns, ships and fortifications, she campaigned for the money to go to charity instead, and for Cromwell to be sacked. Cromwell decided it was his head or hers. Two things were in his favour. Following Anne's miscarriage, 
Henry had begun flirting with Jane Seymour, who bore a physical resemblance to the sandy-haired Catherine of Aragon, and she treated him with Catherine's deference, yet had none of the fire that Catherine would reveal. There's no evidence that Henry yet intended to get rid of Anne, but Jane did distract him. The second thing was courtly love. Anne was expected to be the unattainable target of courtly love, queen of the hive. But flirting and repartee could be deliberately misinterpreted, especially as she might have upped the atmosphere to compete with Jane. Cromwell seized on a court musician who adored her and pressed him to confess to adultery with Anne. Based on his so-called evidence, Anne's brother and her supporters were arrested. Henry reacted violently to being betrayed and refused to listen to pleas that she was innocent. Anne's trial was rigged, but she and five innocent men were all condemned and executed for treason. Henry obsessed about how exactly he would kill Anne. I have written elsewhere to explain why Henry chose to have her beheaded with a sword rather than the usual axe. But it is how she faced death that I think she should be remembered for. She did so with great courage and humility, with hope in her heart and not vengeance or anger. It was a good death, as well as a brutal one. If you are interested in knowing more about Anne Boleyn, you may enjoy my biography of the dynasty, the top 10 bestseller, Tudor, The Family Story. You are also welcome to contact me on my Facebook, website or Twitter. Oh,